Hello, you're listening to Heartstock Radio, and I'm Carol Murphy, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Another beautiful, beautiful Montana spring day here. And we have an interesting guest for today. Can't wait to share his story and all that he's up to. I, I get the sense that Ethan Austin, he is the managing director at Techstars Western Union and Western Union Accelerator. And Ethan Austin seems like he's got a lot of irons in the fire. So he's going to have a lot to share here in just a moment. Remember that you can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook where we always post who our guests will be every Friday at 5. Just a moment. Ethan will be here with us and tell us all about what he's up to. This is Heartstock. This is Heartstock Radio. I am your host, Carol Murphy. Clark Grant is manning the board. Our guest today is Ethan Austin. He's Techstars Western Union, Western Union Accelerator Managing Director. And hi, Ethan. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being with us. And you're speaking with us from Colorado today. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in Denver. Mm, how are things in Denver? Uh, hot, as in a, as in a board meeting today, uh, outside in my backyard, in my lawn chair, and in uh, and actually in pajama pants, which is something you can do during COVID. And during the board meeting, the Zoom meeting, my computer literally just shut off because I think it overheated. So, oh. so it's hot. I think it's hot right now. Uh, and a, a good reason for pajama pants. Yeah, I'm a big fan of pajama pants. I happen to be wearing something very similar to that myself, even in public. I am proud to say yeah. I'm very proud of my pajama pants. So, Ethan. If you're not wearing pajama pants right now, like when they're going to have a chance to wear them in the future. I know. you got to take advantage of the moment. I agree 100%. For our listeners who may not be familiar with Techstars, can you give our listeners a little brief synopsis here of what you do there? Sure. So Techstars um, is this worldwide network where we take entrepreneurs from every single stage and we, and we try and help them advance. So we do something across the globe called Startup Weekend. And that's, we host these in, I think, 180 countries. And that's a weekend where people come with an idea, they'll form teams, and over the course of 48 hours, we'll kind of hack together the idea and maybe a, 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 an MVP of a product or an early prototype of a product. We'll pitch it out. And sometimes those, those ideas go on to become companies. Um, we have several examples of them becoming multi-billion dollar companies. So, so that's one thing that we do um, is just kind of open the doors 
of entrepreneurship to people. Hmm. The area where I work is called the Accelerator Program. So we run about 50 Accelerator Programs across the globe. And the Accelerator Program is we'll take companies that are a little bit further along um, than the idea stage that maybe they have a product out on market, but maybe not a whole lot of traction yet. And we'll take them into the program for three months. It's almost like a boot camp, And we'll introduce them to mentors, to investors, to all of these people who are going to help them. And so the idea is, you know, I think everyone has good ideas, but what really takes it, you know, to the next level is people willing to help you. No one really succeeds in life without getting a hand up from folks. And so what we'll do is we'll take people and we'll bring them into this program and we'll try to inch them a little bit closer to that inside track and push them forward and, you know, help them raise capital um, help them grow sales and, and help them. What we try to do is help them grow uh, what we say in, in three months, what would normally take a year to two years to, to do outside of the program. Mm-hmm. And this is so helpful in many ways. You yourself have gone through the accelerator program. Is that right? I did. I did. I did in 2010. For me, it was life-changing. A big, a big part of the reason I'm working at Techstars today because I've seen, I've seen the results. Mm-hmm. And what did you experience there? I mean, I can only imagine what that would be like to have that those golden three months to focus with so much extra help and expertise. Yeah, it was, I mean, for us, it was, it was incredible. I mean, we came in in 2008, we launched this idea around crowdfunding um, and crowdfunding in 2008 wasn't a word. And so no one believed in what we were doing. We did this for two years. We bootstrapped, we tried to pitch in, you know, venture capitalists and we got laughed out of every boardroom mm. you know, for the most part. And so we stopped doing that and we bootstrapped for two years and try to just grow this business organically. And then in 2010, two years after we had launched, we were one of 10 companies selected out of, I think, 500 companies that applied to really just by chance, honestly, like we just got lucky that we got into this program and, and we got into this program and we were just introduced to this, a, a world of people that were, you know, we never had access to before. So, you know, this person who became our lead mentor and then eventually our first investor and our first board member, who's a guy by the name of Tim Krauskopf, and he helped create the internet browser. And so he helped create something that would go on to become internet explorer. And he'd taken his company public and, you know, billion dollars and and he helped us and just guided us and like took us under his wing and when we need to go fundraise he helped us get the first 40 percent of the round closed by just getting his friends involved and because they trusted him they didn't you know they didn't trust us probably they didn't know what we were doing but they trusted him and so to have people like that behind us and just supporting us and opening doors for us but also really helping us think through our product and, and I'd say more than anything, believing in us as a, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you have so much doubt about what you're doing and to have people who support you, who are, who can be cheerleaders for you. And you can walk out of a meeting with them feeling like a million bucks. You know, that's, that's worth you know, a million bucks right there. A lot. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's some of the stuff that, you know, I'd say that we came out of the program with is just, it's an incredible network of people who wanted to see us succeed. And then how long did it take you to realize that this is what you needed to be doing as a managing director at Techstars? 
you know, so I, I ran that company, you know, my, my, my co-founder Desiree Vargas Wrigley and I, we ran it for, for about eight years and you're in, you know, tunnel vision for eight years and you can't think of anything else and you don't see anything else. And after eight years of doing something while everyone else is building skills, when you're running the company, you're really becoming a generalist. So I, I kind of joked always like the only two roles, you know, after eight years of doing this, that would be open to me would be running another company again. Um, and I didn't have the, the idea or energy or drive at that moment to do that or helping others, you know, run their companies and giving them advice and coaching them and kind of being that cheerleader for them. Um, I joke it was the only job I was really qualified for. So that's kind of how I, I came into it. Um, one of my investors uh, from our angel round was the founder of Techstars. And, and he, he asked, you know, as we were leaving the company, if I'd uh, want to ever join Techstars. And it was just really by chance that the timing uh, was right. And I was moving to LA when they were starting the Techstars LA Accelerator. So, you know, luck, timing, and privilege, I think, play a lot in our in our lives. And, and, and I think this was just a matter of timing. And so it worked out great for me. I love what I'm doing. But I don't think I had ever made that conscious decision. This is the thing I, I have to do next. It was more, this is an awesome opportunity to help others out in the same way that I've been helped out. And I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there was something significant early on in life that planted your feet on to this path? I know that you're an attorney. Tell us a little bit about that journey. About being an attorney? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm always curious. I mean, most guests, we always try to dig a little deeper into their their own educational and experiential history to just kind of let everybody know out there that there's such a diverse group of individuals who become entrepreneurs. It's not like everybody's got an MBA or everybody's an attorney in, you know, there's just something that happens within us that seems to light that entrepreneurial spirit. Sure. Yes. So my dad passed away when I was a kid. Um, And I think that was obviously, you know, I traded in everything in the world to, you know, have my father back. But the thing that I got from that, I think, which was a blessing is, you know, the idea of what doing what you want to do early in life. And, um, mm. you know, like yeah. you get hit by a bus tomorrow, mm-hmm. you should be doing something you really enjoy. And so I think I had that idea from an early age. And I think, well, in college, I had the idea, well, all of my friends are going off to become investment bankers, which is the thing, you know, for people to do in 2004. My liberal arts friends and I were like, well, what are we going to do? And we had studied abroad and traveled to hostels. And we said, maybe we'll open a hostel. So we almost came close to doing that. Probably not the typical thing to do. And I, I kind of chickened out at the last second. My friends did it. And they did great. And, you know, I ended up opening the most successful hostels in Panama where they started them. And they did, they did fantastic. And I went to law school because I kind of chickened out uh, on doing it in the, at the last second. And honestly, like, I wasn't good at law school. No matter how hard I studied, there was people who were you know, better than I was, and I was never going to be a, a fantastic lawyer. In fact, the first time I took the bar, I failed it. So I think there was a sign there that maybe I wasn't meant to do that. And you know, while I was in law school, I, I had an opportunity to 
come up with, you know, I came up with an idea for a company that I couldn't really get out of my head. And so I, I was just having more, so much more fun thinking about that idea. And really I thought to myself, you know, the calculation was, I think I can do more good in the world and help more people and also make more money if I'm successful at this than I can as a lawyer because I was never going to be a great lawyer. So that's, that was kind of the calculus that went through my head as I was kind of making that decision to go from lawyer to entrepreneur. And the other thing I would say also is there are some people who make this great leap from a successful career as a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, you know, they, they may have been prior and, and really taking a leap to go into entrepreneurship. I was unemployed, you know, had no income and was not really taking this huge leap with like a giant opportunity cost. It wasn't some big drastic career change for me. I'd never actually practiced before uh, starting the company I started. And tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for your initial crowdfunding company that you went to Techstars with. Sure. So initially, you know, and my co-founder and I both, which was interesting, is both came up with similar ideas around the same time, totally independent of each other. Um, and it's just interesting how ideas co-evolve, uh, you know, around the world around the same time. Three or four other companies were starting at the same time. And one called Indiegogo, which is fairly well known today, was starting at the same time. And Kickstarter was starting the next year and GoFundMe the year after that. So all these ideas kind of come about at the same time independently often, which was interesting. But, you know, digressing to what, to, to what you asked, how I came up with, you know, at least from, from my standpoint, you know, where I came up with this idea was I was in law school and my buddy said, hey, why don't you run a marathon, which is a great idea if you're a runner, but I, I was not a runner and somehow decided I'd do it. I never run more than five miles and I figured if I'm ever going to do something as dumb as this again, I might as well raise money for a good cause. And as I told you, my dad passed away from cancer when I was a kid, so I decided I'd raise money for cancer organization. And they gave me a fundraising page to do this. And I was able to raise so much money with this fundraising page. And I started having so much fun with it. I, I put on a banana costume that I had from Halloween leftover and started running up and down the streets of DC in the banana costume with flyers and I'd hand them out to people on the street. And it had a link to my page. And sooner, you know, sooner, sooner and later, I had people from around the country donating, hmm. which was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty eye-opening to think some Yahoo in a banana costume could raise all this money. And it was because of this technology. And that technology I thought was pretty fantastic. And the only thing I thought missing from that technology was that with the marathon, I could only run for one of 20 or so official charity partners of the marathon. So I chose to run for children's cancer because it was the closest thing. And my dad had colon cancer. I would have run for colon cancer. And so my thought, you know, in that whole process is this tool, this technology is amazing. It would be great if it was open to, you know, anyone's cause, whether that's, you know, battered women's shelters or, you know, children in Darfur or the environment or whatever it might be. This is a great technology that should be accessible to everyone. And so that's what I originally kind of set out to do. My co-founder had a different idea around uh, that she came up with after Katrina of why can't we give directly to people? Why do we have to give to the Red Cross? And so we kind of came together with our ideas and and built something together. And of course, 
you know, as any founder or entrepreneur has experienced, our initial idea didn't work exactly as we had planned. And we had a slight pivot, you know, about a year in to, to really focus what we would focus on and what would become like this really big thing in this, in the crowdfunding space was medical crowdfunding and helping people raise money for their loved ones out of pocket medical expenses when they were sick with cancer or had an injury or whatever it might be for whatever reason, someone needed money that their insurance wasn't going to cover. And that's where things really started to take off. So the ideas that we both had originally were slightly off and our users were telling us this is the direction you need to go in just based on what we were seeing on the site. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take our midway break here. And when we come back, we're going to really dig into Techstars and some exciting things that are going on there. This is Hardstock. And I'm your host, Carol Murphy. We shall be right back with Ethan. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest, <laughs> our guest is <laughs> Ethan Austin. Hi again, Ethan. Hi there. So let's talk a little bit more about Techstars. What's the mission? I imagine that there are a couple, and why is it important what you're doing there? Sure. The mission of Techstars is really to transform the world by making innovation accessible to anyone, anywhere. And so we don't believe that all the good ideas come from Silicon Valley. We believe that, and as I talked about earlier, we have the startup weekends in 180 different countries. The ideas, good ideas come from everywhere. And, you know, ideas aren't limited by geography at all. But people are limited by access. And so we try to make, you know, the world of innovation accessible to everyone. I don't know if you know this, but here in Butte, beautiful Butte, America, we actually had a startup weekend that I got to participate in. Did you know that? I had no idea, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> That's really cool. There, there are many. I'm sure you can give us some stats on just how many startup weekends you've had, but very powerful experience. I mean, just to hear you say that, it warms my heart because I feel, always feel like there are so many good ideas out there, you know, people all over the world that have great intelligent ideas that we need to tap into to solve some of these ginormous problems that we're facing. And the biggest one that really seems to be front and center that everybody is aware of right now is this idea of inclusion and diversity that has been magnified, I would say, by current events as well as COVID. 
how do you how are you tackling this at TechStars? Yeah, so we we'll have some things coming out. I can't speak to from the organizational standpoint. Some big goals that we're probably going to announce. I don't know when the next couple of weeks of what we're doing from from that standpoint, which I think is going to be really exciting. I can say from a global standpoint at TechStars, like one of the things that I'm most proud of um, in my time at TechStars is a couple of years ago I pushed an idea that we adopted almost immediately, which was fantastic. It just kind of shows, speaks to the leadership at TechStars of requiring every single company that comes through our program to implement diversity, equity, inclusion plan. And so that's not a one-size-fits-all plan, but every every company as a requirement of taking Techstars money has to implement a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion plan, which I think if we're going to start you know, fixing some of these things, then we need to start at the, at the very origins of the seed stage companies before a culture is set, right? If you wait till you're, you know, a 25-person company raising your Series A or a 50-person company, you know, that culture is largely baked in by that point and it's harder to change. So, and we believe first and foremost, if we can help companies change from, from you know, or not even change, but start with the idea of diversity, equity, inclusion in mind, you know, that's a big thing. From my own standpoint, you know, like I said, I can't speak to the entire organization, we, you know, because we're probably making some announcements soon of what we're doing that I can't reveal. But from my own standpoint, you know, with my own program, you know, I think what I've always tried to do is just try and bring up and bring, you know, forth voices that oftentimes are not heard or go into areas of the world where people aren't, you know, expected to be innovators or like we all think that it all comes from Silicon Valley. And, you know, my upcoming class of tech stars, we're going to have 10 companies and I think the founders will represent, I believe, 20 different countries. Um, eight of the 10 companies will be run by immigrant CEOs. Four of the 10 companies will be run by black CEOs. Seven of the companies will have underrepresented founders. So I think it's really upon us as investors to invest in people who otherwise don't always have the same privilege and access and run in the same circles, you know, that have traditionally been invested in. So that's kind of where my head's at on all these things. And to, you know, to the degree I can, you know, with our hiring practices as well, I think 75% of the associates and employees we've hired within you know, my program have been underrepresented. So I think, you know, I don't have guidelines around any of these things. I think it's more just about being intentional mm-hmm. and nothing strict. You know, it's just, I want to be intentional about these things and just the way I've kind of approached it. So aside from just general fairness and principles of fairness, why is this so important? Yeah. I and mean, do you have a, a sense for why we need to do this aside from the fact that it's just right and fair? Are there real, true well, entrepreneurial well, sure. business reasons for it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's a million studies out there. McKinsey does studies, all these studies that say diverse teams do better. They perform better. Over time, um, statistically, it, it's the smart thing to do mm. um, is to hire diverse teams. You know, and, and, and I think there's lots of data out there that speaks to that. I don't think that's the reason to do it, mm. per se. I think we all justify these decisions 
by saying it's the smart things to do, it's the business, you know, savvy thing to do. Um, and we can make all these justifications for it, but I actually don't think we should have to. I think it's okay sometimes to do the thing that's right just because it's right. And so we can, you know, whatever, whatever reason makes someone feel comfortable, I think is fine. And if, if some people think I'm only going to do this because it makes, you know, the better business decision, I think that's okay. But for me, I think it's more just, I think it's okay to do things because it's, uh, because it's the right thing to do. And I know we wanted to talk a little bit about raising funds. That always seems, I mean, especially being a female, the statistics are really sad. <laughs> that people don't want to mm-hmm. give money to women for their startups. Mm-hmm. Advice, um, common practices, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's absolutely one of the biggest travesties of our, of our industry, right? And it's, it's the truth. It's, and there's no denying any of those facts. I think the, the answers to this, you know, from a systemic standpoint, right? People, you know, if you're in a venture fund, you should not be hiring and you, you shouldn't be hiring people that look like me, white male at, at this point in 2020, probably. Um, until we reach some level of gender parity, until we reach some level of, of racial parity, you know, so that there are more people funding founders that look like them because they'll often understand where they're coming from and understand why what they're doing is a real problem where someone coming from a different vantage point might not understand or see the opportunity there. So I think that's the first thing that needs to be done. That's going to take time. I mean, like VC jobs kind of turn over the same way Supreme, Supreme Court jobs turn over <laughs> just very slowly. Mm-hmm. And so that takes time. But I think, you know, until that happens, I think, you know, what I always tell people is, you know, first find people that are going to believe in you rather than believing in your business. And, you know, the people that are going to believe in you, you know, I think oftentimes like, you know, People who may have come from a similar background, people who went to a similar school, people who have some shared common interest. And, you know, I think rewarding those investors, I mean, oftentimes, you know, female investors, like with great deal flow, I think as those funds grow more and more, female founders should, you know, seek those out first. Mm -hmm. I yeah. those out first. And that seems but, to be a trend. Unfortunately, we we're just playing out of time. <laughs> Which I, I okay. hate I hate saying, but we are. So before we do completely totally run out of time, what is the best way for folks to find you? Sure. I'm Ethan.austin at techstars.com. And I feel bad that we ran out of time because I wasn't finished there. But if anyone wants to email me, feel free to shoot me an email anytime. And there you go. There, There's uh, only time left ahead to finish up yeah. with Ethan. Just reach sure. out. Yep. Yep. This is Heartstock Radio. And I'm your host, Carol Murphy. We shall see you next week. As always, peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5, Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. Let's go.